You guys, it is so uh, good to be with you here tonight. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church, and I want to let you know that uh, we really strive to do one thing and one thing well. It's we want to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. That we believe that God's not done with us, that God actually has created you to be fully who he created you to be, and he is here to help in that process, to actually aid you in that process, to grow you in the process of becoming exactly who he created you to be. And I'm telling you, it's just, uh, this church is about three months old, and as we were sitting here worship, standing and singing out to God, I mean, I, my eyes just fill with tears, because I, I can't believe I get to be a part of a church that is committed to that, that is committed to helping people grow, that is committed to people who would not call themselves churchy people, that we're more committed to the messed up than we are to the dressed up. And I'm so proud to be a part of a church like that. And it's humbling to me and exciting and thrilling to me. And we're going to talk about what it means for us to be committed to the city. What does it mean that we are soul city church? What does that look like? What does that mean? You know, for the last uh, seven days or so, and for me it's been for the last couple weeks, we've been living in the story of this guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a character out of the Old Testament. And there's nothing about his story previous to the account that we have in the Bible that would make him a person of note or a person of interest in any way. He doesn't come from a royal family. He doesn't have sort of any important historical lineage. He's just a guy who's actually in exile in a foreign land working for the king. And what we talked about, what we saw last week, is that Nehemiah had such a deep burden, such a deep conviction, such a holy discontent for the state of his city, Jerusalem, which was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. His burden was so deep for how broken, literally, and morally, and spiritually, that city was that he began to pray big prayers to God. And if you look around the post, these pillars that you see around the room, last week we had a powerful time of writing out our own big prayers to God. And if you didn't get a chance to do that, I'd love for you to go after the, our gathering here tonight and read some of these prayers. Powerful, big prayers. Because we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to waste our prayers. We don't want to waste our lives on small things, do we? We want our lives to matter. We want our prayers to matter. We want to pray for big things to a big God. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. But not only that, he went and made some big asks of the king that was ruling over the foreign land that he actually was living in, that he was actually working for. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue in his story this week as he now approaches the city of Jerusalem and what his burden is, what his response is, what he sees when he sees the city. He has such a deep conviction and vision for the city. And all of us, in one way or another, have a deep, at the very least, love for this city. We love our city, don't we? We love Chicago. We earn the right to live in Chicago through these winters that we have. Like, we are Chicagoans. We're proud of it, right? Like, our, people love our city so much, you don't have to live in the city to love it. People like in Rockford consider themselves Chicagoans, right? Like, you don't have to live in the city to love the city. We love our city. Every one of us has a story, actually, with the city. In some way or another, your life, you're here, it's proof, has intersected with this city for this season. And we all have a story of how we came to Chicago, what we love about Chicago, how we got here. I remember exactly what it was for me. You know, I, I uh, first had exposure to big cities as a little kid. I grew up just outside of San Francisco in the East Bay, uh, not too far from MC Hammer, one of our most important <laughs> exports from the East Bay. And, uh, and, uh, and so I lived there. And, and so as a kid, we would make trips over, to, over the bridge to San Francisco. And San Francisco is a beautiful city. It's a wonderful city. And so as a kid, the city meant something to me. I had a story about that city. 
we would go there anytime we wanted to have sort of a big time as a family. For Mother's Day, we always went to the same hotel, the same restaurant for Mother's Day in the city. We'd make a big trip over there, get all dressed up and go in the city. We would celebrate sometimes Easter, we would have, we'd go and celebrate in the city. Christmas shopping was done in the city. That was a big deal. So we would drive over the bridge and do the whole thing. Anytime we wanted to go, you know, like on a field trip for school, you know, it was always to the city because that's where the museums were. That's where, you know, all, all, the, all the important stuff was, was in the city. And so we would drive over the bridge and go to the city and have a great, you know, time. Anytime I wanted to uh, treat my lady right, take her on a special date, you know, like take her someplace other than Olive Garden, like I would go across the bridge. I'd go to the city, right? The city was, for us, because we lived, you know, about 30, 40 minutes away from the city, the city was where our uh, house uh, cleaners lived. And so um, every other Saturday morning, first, my mom would make us clean the house before we went and got the house cleaners, which never made sense to me. But then we would drive into the city to a part that we didn't typically go to to pick up our house cleaners. And I never understood really what was fully going on there until I actually lived in the city. The city was sort of a means to our own end. We would use the city for what we needed it for. And that's where my story with the city began. But my story with this city began in 1995. It really began in 1993. It's when I met Jeannie. I was visiting from San Francisco here to Chicago. We met uh, over one week that I spent here in the city. And I was with my best friend and and Jeannie was friends with my best friend's sister, and so we met through that kind of chain of events and uh, hit it off instantly. Uh, well, at least she hit it off with me. It took a while for me to hit it off with her, and so like, but we connected. We connected. We connected, right? And so I'm really interested, in, and so we, we had this moment in, in our, uh, the week that I was there. On the Saturday that I was there, my friend and his family that I was staying with here in the city at the All Suites Omni Hotel, they had to run out to Wheaton to go do some family stuff, and so I was going to be in the city all by myself. And so out of the goodness of her own heart, but I think more interest in, in who I am, Jeannie <laughs> called me and said, hey, I'd like to show you around our great city. So I'm like, well, all right, let's do this. All right, let's, this is exactly, you're falling into my trap. And so um, we spent like a day out of the movies, you know, like the slow motion music in the background, music video scene in movies where like they just do everything. Like we did everything you could do in Chicago. You know, we had like Garrett's popcorn and we went all through Water Tower. We did all that. Went to a couple different, you know, cool shops on Michigan Avenue. And it was like, you know, I really, really love this city. I think I really love her more, but I love this city. And so within a few years, I'd move here. Just about a year and a half later, I'd move into this city. 1995 is when I moved into this city. And uh, I was going to school downtown, so I lived downtown. I worked on Lakeshore Drive at the Carlisle, which is one of those big old buildings where uh, big old people live. And I was, a, I was a doorman, and I had the full, like, long coat and, like, hat and, like, something out of... It was just awful. It was just awful. And I'd have to stand there. And that, I got that job in the fall, and I had my first winter in Chicago as a doorman standing outside on Lakeshore Drive. I'm telling you, there was a season there where I... I thought God had left me. I doubted the existence of God. No one had prepared me for Chicago winter. And so I worked in the city, lived in the city, but eventually Jeannie got a job out in the suburbs at the church we worked at for a long time called Willow Creek Church. And so our lives began to shift out to the suburbs. And so we, I moved out of the city when, once we got married, and we lived uh, out in Barrington for a long time, and our, kind of, our lives revolved around there and that world and where we were working, the friends we made there. But every so often, about every month or so, we'd make our trip into the city, and it began to be no different than what it was for me as a kid. We'd come in to do the important things, you know? Anytime we wanted to go on a special date, or anytime we kind of wanted to have a cool urban experience. Barrington's, no, Barrington's so ghetto and so hardcore <laughs> that we'd want to escape from that for a while and go to the city. So gangster in Barrington. And so we, um, 
we would come in and visit, right? And, and over the course of that time, we had no idea that God was actually going to be writing a new story, a deeper story for us in the city. And now we're in a new chapter with the city where we live here in the city just like most of you. And we are seeing the city differently than we ever have before. Again, you don't have to live in the city to love the city. But if you're going to love the city, you have to see it the way that God sees it. If you're ever going to really love the city, you have to see it the way that God sees it. And we all love our city. We love it very, very, very much. All of us have a story. All of us have things that we love about it. But there's something deeper, there's something greater that God is actually stirring up inside of you that you may not even be aware of when it comes to this city that he loves. Could it be that God has you in this city, in this season, for a reason? But it's no accident you got here. It's no accident that you're here right now. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Nehemiah's response to the city, this unique season that God had him in this very important city of Jerusalem, and why it was and what it was that God had him there to do. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to Nehemiah chapter 2? Nehemiah chapter 2. It's about a little less than halfway, a little more than halfway through the Old Testament, a little less than halfway through your Bible. You can go to Nehemiah chapter 2. As we talked about, we're looking at a character who... um, lived in a foreign land, and he worked as the cupbearer for the king. So he was sort of in the presence of the king. Now, you need to know something that's very important about the king. The king's ancestors were actually the ones who had contributed to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. So he is now in exile in a foreign land, 900 miles away from his city, working for a king whose ancestors had destroyed the very city that God had burdened his heart for, that God was giving him a vision for. And so as we looked at last week, Nehemiah prayed big prayers, and he made a big ask of the king. He went to his employer, the king, in this foreign land and asked if the king would allow him to go back to his city to rebuild it. He had heard that the city was in complete ruins, physically, spiritually in ruins. So he asked his boss, the king, would you please allow me to go back to my city? But he didn't stop there. He actually asked his boss, the king, the one whose ancestors had contributed to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, will you fund this endeavor for me? Will you pay for me to go back to fix what you messed up? That's what he asked. Now, this is not something you do lightly. This is not something you do in a way that you haven't thought through in front of the most powerful person in that land. But this is exactly what Nehemiah does. Why? Because he prayed big prayers to a big God, and he expected nothing less than God to do big things. And as we looked at last week, he didn't ask God to do big things for him. He asked God to do big things, what? Through him. Very different than most of the prayers that I've prayed in my life. Most of my life, I've asked God to do small things and some big things for me. That's not the way Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed, God, would you do this through me? Would you give me favor in the presence of the king? And he does. He gets favor. He's not only granted permission to go on a leave of absence. He's given funding. He's given resources. He's given safe passage all the way back to Jerusalem. So if you go to Nehemiah chapter 2, Verse 11, we see him coming into the city of Jerusalem. He is all by himself coming into the city that his heart is burdened for. As far as we know, we don't have any record or any way of knowing if he's actually ever even lived in the city before. That's something to think about. That we don't, we have no record, no account to know if he's actually, he may, it's very likely, very possible that he has lived in this foreign land all of his life. But he knows how important the city is. And he knows how much God loves the city. And so we see him coming into the city, chapter 2, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, 
I set out during the night with a few others. So he just brings a close few, just a group of people, very small. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. What God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So basically, he's got a couple, like, he's got, he's, he's got his posse, he's got his entourage, right? He's got a couple folks with him, and he's riding through the city quietly late at night. Verse 13, by night, uh, we're going to skip over verse 13 because it's going to take a long time, but he walks through all the different uh, parts of the city that he walks through, he gets through, and he walks through all this kind of stuff. And he, and he goes into great detail, actually, you can read that. Later, he does say down in verse 16 that the officials, the city officials, those who were still in charge of the city of Jerusalem, did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. This is in verse 16. Because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. So he is on a secret mission. He is scouting out just how broken and torn down the city is. Then this is what Nehemiah says, verse 17. Then I said to them, look, you can see, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And this is how he seals the deal with those around him. I also told them about the gracious, the gracious hand of God on me, and what the king had said to me. So basically, we see Nehemiah who goes out by himself with just a few close others. He doesn't tell anyone what he's doing. First, he gets to the city. He waits three days. Then he goes out at night with just a small group of people, and he explores the city. He goes through every nook and cranny. It was so in such ruin, as he goes on to describe in verse 14 and 15, it was in such bad shape, there are parts he couldn't even get through with his horse because it was in such ruin. And so then he comes back and says to his, his posse, his entourage, his homies, he says, look, you see, you see what a mess this city is. Come, let's rebuild the city. Let us rebuild the city. And here's how I know that we will have success, because God has already moved his gracious hand. God has already provided. Look at what the king has done. Look at what he's already provided. God will give us favor in this endeavor. Let's rebuild the city. And what we're going to look at next week is exactly how he does that, how it is that he goes about rebuilding the city and how it is that he mobilizes others to move and to own their part in building the city. But for tonight, we want to camp out just on that idea that, that Nehemiah had a vision for the city. He had a love for the city. As far as we know, we don't know if he ever lived there or even been there before. We don't know. All we know is that he gets there for three days. He prays. He waits. Before he works, he walks. He sees the city honestly for what it is. He sees the city for the condition that it is. And he sees the city the way that God sees the city. He sees the city the way that God sees the city. And when you see the city the way that God sees the city, you will love the city the way that God loves the city. Now, we all love Chicago, right? We love Chicago for all kinds of different reasons. But when you see the city the way that God actually sees the city, the way that Nehemiah saw the city, when you see the city the way that God sees the city, you will love the city. You will love the city the way that God loves the city, which is so much deeper and more powerful and transformational than anything we could ever muster up on our own. 
This is what we see in the life of Nehemiah. And I believe it's what God is inviting our church and what God is specifically inviting you into right now. It's to see the city the way that God sees it so that we can actually love this city the way that God loves it. When was the last time you really stopped and thought about this city and what this city means to our country, what it means to the world? What does this city mean to you, to your story? When was the last time you really stopped and thought about how significant it is that God has you in this city, in this season, for a reason that may be bigger than anything you could possibly imagine? I want to just spend a few moments talking about our city. I want to talk about Chicago. Again, you don't have to live in Chicago to love Chicago. But we're going to talk about seeing the city just for a second, the way that God sees it. You know, that we live in one of the most influential cities in the world. One of the most influential cities in the world. We live in the third largest city in America. That's Chicago. And let's be honest, L.A. doesn't really count, but they got number two. All right, so we're in the third largest city, this very influential, very important city. We have, I mean, we're the home, like, just think about what other city has some of the most important and beautiful architecture surrounded by this beautiful lake, divided by rivers. I mean, this is a beautiful, wonderful city. We have an amazing, historic, important city. We have a city that is the the home of the blues and jazz and Kanye. (laughs) But we love them. You think about how important this city is culturally. Some of the greatest theaters in the country are here in our city. Our city has some of the greatest, most groundbreaking, influential theaters in the country, here in our city, Chicago. Second city, Think about that. You think about this city and its obsession with sports. We are the home of the Bulls, who will be champions this year, I guarantee it. Home of the Bears, who we won't talk about right now. Cubs, Sox, Blackhawks, Fire. This is soccer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No one knows about them anyway. We have such a great history and love of sports. We have some of the greatest restaurants in the country, if not in the world. The problem is we are known for the fattest food in the world. We love us some pizza, hot dogs, and beef sandwiches. We love it. That's okay. We have to fatten up for winter. We know what we're doing. We know what we're doing, people. Leave us alone. We have some of the most important culture. Think about the Art Institute. You think about we have some of the greatest culture our country has to offer is here, right here in our city. And for the month of February, uh, free if you want to go to any museums. That's just a plug from your local city of Chicago Council. So we have some of the greatest culture in this city. You think about how amazing, how many people look to Chicago. Our president calls Chicago home. We live in a very important and significant and wonderful city. That God loves. But if we are ever going to love the city the way that God loves it, we have to see it the way that he sees it. And there is a Chicago. In fact, there are many Chicagos that many of us don't see or don't pay enough attention to or drive by or walk by or never visit. And for the next few moments, I want you to hear about some of the ruins of our city, one of the greatest cities in the world. But our city is in ruins. It is in ruins. I want you just to hear and let some of these statistics and realities sink in. And this is some pretty heavy stuff. 
Do you know that in our city, this great city of Chicago, 31% of our children in the city live below the poverty line. Half of them live in deep or severe poverty. That means that one in three kids in this city live in poverty. One of the greatest, wealthiest cities in the world, and yet this is what's happening in our city. 86% of our students in Chicago public schools, 86% of our students come from low-income families. Citywide, that's not just certain neighborhoods. Citywide, 86% of our students live in low-income families. This is amazing. Only 54% of our Chicago public school students, only 54% will graduate. Only 54% of our kids actually graduate from high school. And did you know that six out of 100 of our Chicago public school kids will go on to get a bachelor's degree? Six percent of our kids in this city will actually ever go on to get a bachelor's degree. And this is the kind of thing that we have to see if we're ever going to love this city the way that God loves the city. You think about the homelessness pandemic in our city, and one of the first things I noticed when I came here to visit for the first time, I'm like, wow, it's so clean. I didn't hardly see any homeless people. Our city does an amazing job of hiding the homeless, an amazingly tragic job of hiding the homeless. Because right now, tonight, literally right now, tonight, right outside these walls, there are 89,000 homeless people walking the streets of Chicago. You think about tonight and how cold it is. 89,000 homeless people. Half of them are families. And if that's not enough, of the 89,000 that are homeless right now tonight, of every bed and shelter, from emergency shelters to temporary transitional shelters to permanent long-term housing shelters, there are only 13,000 beds to house the homeless in the city of Chicago. So we have 89,000 homeless right now tonight, only 13,000 beds. That means that 76,000 people will walk the streets of Chicago tonight with nowhere to get dry, to get warm, to get rest, to get shelter. That's happening in our city right now, tonight. You think about our city and some of the racial inequities that exist every day in our city. And I'm I'm amazed, for those of us who live in the city, no one has to paint a dotted line across the neighborhoods that are not so good to go into, but everyone knows who they are. Everyone knows where they are. And there are neighborhoods, I've lived in Chicago for a while, and there's neighborhoods I still haven't gone to. There's, and there is, there is for such a um, racially diverse city, we are still one of the most segregated cities in our entire country. People clearly flock to neighborhoods, and you actually subconsciously already know what that is. We have one of the worst public housing records of any city in our nation's history. We have one of the worst public housing. It is atrocious the way that we've treated those who are poor, living in poverty, when it comes to our public housing system. Regardless of whatever your beliefs or convictions or opinions or political stance may be on that, our track record is bad for a city as great as Chicago. And if you haven't sensed that or felt that, drive by the ruins of Cabrini Green. Just drive by. There's one building left standing. We already tore down all the Robert Taylor homes. We're tearing down Cabrini Green. Both of those projects were failures to begin with. 
completely the wrong solution to a massive problem. But the question that I ask for you as you drive by Cabrini and you see it being torn down is, where did the thousands of families go that lived in those towers? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Where do they go? Our city does an amazing job of hiding the homeless and pushing aside the poor. And for you to see the city the way that God sees it and to love it the way that God loves it, you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. You think about where we're at right now, this, this church building, Soul City Church, just a couple months old, we've only been in this space now for a few months. And if you were to walk out these doors tonight, which you probably will, most all of you will probably walk out of these doors at some point tonight, uh, you turn to the left, you walk a couple blocks, you are in some of the wealthiest parts of Chicago. You can walk right into the loop, right from our doors. And some of the most expensive housing and some of the most, I mean, businesses, multi, multi-million dollar businesses, literally, right around the corner, just, just to the left, a couple blocks to the left of our church. You walk out of our church tonight and you walk to the right and you'll see some of Chicago's greatest poverty. And there's only about six to eight blocks that separates them. And in some neighborhoods and some parts of the city, it's just a street that separates some of the greatest wealth from the greatest poverty. There's great inequity in our city. You walk a couple blocks to the south of us and you'll be in the midst of UIC do you know that just a couple blocks away from where we're at tonight, there are 27,000 students on that campus, just at UIC. Of the colleges within a five-mile radius of our church, there's 96,000 college students right here in the city. People from literally all over the world have come to gain their education and spend four years in our back door. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Do you know that within one mile of our church, if you were to just draw a circle within one mile of our church, there's 164,000 people. I was in Oklahoma this weekend speaking at a, a big youth event, and I was telling some of the staff all about the, of this event. I was telling them all about you guys, and I was telling them all about Soul City. And when I said that there's 164,000 people within one mile of our church, they're like, dang. Like... <laughs> They were arguing if there was even that many people in their county. You know, it's like, that's one mile from this church. 164,000 people within just a walking distance of this church. And of that 164,000 people, only 13%, only 13% of them say that they have a church home of any kind. Of 164,000 people within one mile of this church, 87% of them have no affiliation, no church, no spiritual home here in the city. And when you begin to see that, and you begin to hear that, and you begin to let that settle in, something should start to turn in you. Something should start to turn in you. Whether you live in the city or not, something should start to turn in you. And if lots of times, if you're like me, you hear that and you go, Someone needs to do something about that. Someone needs to do something about that. And when we look back to the story of Nehemiah, was his response, someone needs to do something about that? No, his response was, God, do something through me about that. Because you've put me in this city, in this season, for a reason. And I don't want to miss it. 
And when I look at the city, I want to see what you see, God, so that I can actually love what you love. When you hear about our city and what is going on, something, a holy burden, a holy conviction, a holy discontent should start to stir in you. So much so, in fact, that some of you will move from where you currently live into neighborhoods you never even thought of walking through because God has broken your heart so much for the poor, the oppressed, the overlooked. That is going to happen. It already is. My wife and I live in a neighborhood we never would have ever thought of living in. And God is writing a better story than we would have ever written in this city. Some of you will move. Some of you will move into the city. Some of you will change careers. Some of you will become teachers, and we desperately need you. Some of you will become social workers and work with some of the great nonprofits that we are connected to here in the city of Chicago. Some of you literally will change the trajectory of your career or lack thereof to be a part of what God is doing in this city. I believe it. I believe it. And all of us, all of us should not look at this city the same. We want to see the city the way that God sees it so that we can love it the way that God loves it. And when you do, when you start to see it the way that God sees it, when you pay attention, when you don't just drive by or drive around, when you pay attention, this amazing thing begins to happen inside of you. It's that you begin to realize that the city is actually not here for you, but you are here for the city. The city is not here for you. As wonderful as it is, as awesome as it is, as great as it is, as many resources and restaurants and cool places to hang out and pride that we have in saying we're from Chicago, the city is not here for you. You are here by God's plan in your life, whether you realize it or not, you are here for the city. We as a church are here for the city. We are here for the city. And I don't doubt, I don't doubt for a second that God is stirring in you right now to begin to see the city the way he sees it and love the city the way he loves it, just like Nehemiah. To stop praying small prayers for God to do things for you, but to pray big prayers for God to do big things through you in this great city. We wouldn't be here if we didn't believe that. It is a lot easier and a lot cheaper to do church almost anywhere else. Trust me, I know. But we have a holy discontent that there are not enough churches in this city and there are not enough people who know and have a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ in this city. There is not enough for us to sit by, for us to stay comfortable, for us to choose fear over faith for us to choose small prayers instead of big ones from a big God. There is too much in this city that God loves for us to miss. This city is not here for you. You are here for the city. And God has you here in this season, in this city, for a reason. It's bigger than a job. It's bigger than a job. That maybe what brought you here and what you thought brought you here, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than school. That's originally why I came here was, well, mostly Jeannie, but also to finish school. God was writing a much bigger story than just school. School's over in a couple of years, or at least it should be. God has you here for something bigger than that. It's not just a lifestyle choice because you like the action and the, you know, the awesome opportunities and the great restaurant. It's not just for those things. That may be what brought you here. That's not what God has you here for. 
It's not just to get a fresh start or have a new chapter in your life. God has such bigger plans for you than that. And those are good things and fine things. God is doing great things. And he wants to do great things through you, through this church, in this city. And so what we want to do is we want to say, okay, God, like Nehemiah did, we want to walk before we get to work. We want to walk and listen and pay attention and see the city the way that God sees it so that our hearts will be broken to love this city the way that God loves it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That we will actually love this city the way that God loves it. That we could actually say with our lives, I am here for this city and God is working through me. And so what I want to challenge each of us to do this week, look, it's above 30 most of the time now, okay? We had a heat wave. That was wonderful. We needed it. We earned it, okay? But here's what I'm going to ask each of you to do. Whether you live in the city or not, I'm going to ask each of you, we want to ask each of you to do what Nehemiah did, to go for a walk this week. Now, one, it's just good for your lungs and it's good for your heart. But more than that, We want to ask, we want to challenge, we want everyone at Soul City to take one walk this week, either around your block or around maybe a neighborhood you don't typically go to. And if it's one of those kind of neighborhoods, maybe just bring someone with you. It's just a walk. That's just a thought. Just a thought. And it might be better, actually, if you have a small group this week, a lot of us gather together. We, We know that rows are important, and we know that like sitting in rows like this is good, but we know that transformation happens best in circles. And so a lot of you are in those kind of circles. You're happening. Small groups are happening this week. Maybe for some of you, this week, what you need to do at the start of your small group, at the end of your small group, is to go for a walk around the block and pray and watch and listen and ask God to show you what he sees so that your heart will be broken for what breaks his. This week, will you go on a walk with God in our city to see what God might want to do through you? It's no mistake that you're here. I don't know what brought you. I don't know what your plans are. I just know God has better ones. And he actually wants to do great things through you in our great city. And next week, we're going to talk about what that looks like as a church. But for this week, we're going to commit to going on a walk, okay? Every one of us, one block, two, maybe three. If you're daring, walk a park. I don't know. You, you, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. So I'm going to pray for you right now, and we're going to uh, sing together again. We want to call out to the God of the city who knows and loves the city better than we ever can or ever will. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, right now, to close your eyes and just kind of put out any distraction and start to listen to the story of how God brought you to this city, in or around the city. If you just think about that for a second, how is it that God has intersected your story with the story of this city? And begin to ask that bigger question, God, what might you want to do through me in this city, in this season? God, how can I be here for this city? Not just as a means to my own end, but to serve and love and rebuild this city, God. God, I pray boldly that you will stir and move in our hearts, literally to the point, God, where things actually change. Our plans are changed by you, and you begin to write a better story of how we can see what you see and love what you love in this city, God. 
Thank you for this city. God, we bless this city in your name. We are here to be a blessing to this city, God. We want to be a gift to this city, so much so that people actually see you through our presence in this city, God, as a church. We pray that people who are far from you will be brought into relationship with you, that they would actually have a transforming relationship with you because of those in this church who commit themselves to living with you for the city seven days a week. God, I pray that when we walk, that we would not skip it, that we would not put it off, that we would go for a walk expectant to hear from you, expectant to see things we never noticed before, expectant, God, to encounter you and the city that you love. God, meet us on those walks as you met Nehemiah. Give us a vision, God, that burns so deep within us that we cannot help but respond to you and respond to the city with your great love. God, I pray that for my own life. I pray that for Soul City Church, every person gathered here tonight, God. We love you and we love how you love this city. Help us to love it like you do, God, we pray. Amen.